Thank you for doing that, by the way. <clears throat> We're in the um, Jeremiah chapter 50 tonight. And I was counting the verses. There's, um, if you add up all the verses that are left in the book of Jeremiah, it's actually 144 verses left. And, and so there's no way I'm going to get through it tonight. Uh, but, but I will get hopefully through the next two chapters. It'll be the, the perfect place to pick up next week. Chapter 52 will be the segue right into the book of Lamentations. So we have at least another week and a half in the book of Jeremiah. And I know some of you have been enjoying this very, very much. I, I particularly, you know, and, and as we, we learned uh, just a couple of weeks ago that this is really the longest book in the entire Bible if you count the words. This is the down uh, section, the, the worst part of the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, th th this is the time in Israel's life where the temple has been destroyed, that beautiful temple that was built by King Solomon himself. The walls have been torn down, and the people have been exiled. Those that are with the, uh, Jeremiah in the land of, of Egypt and those that are with Ezekiel and Daniel are in the land of Babylon. And this is exactly what's going to happen now to Babylon is the last two chapters of this prophetic part of the book of Jeremiah specifically deal with Babylon. Chapter 50 and chapter 51 are, are dedicated to Babylon. 110 verses. It says there in verse 1 of chapter 50, the word that the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare among the nations, proclaim and set a standard. Proclaim, do not conceal it. Say, Babylon is taken, Bel is shamed, Merodach is broken in pieces, her idols are humiliated, her images are broken in pieces. For out of the north a nation comes up against her, which shall make her land desolate, and no one shall dwell therein. They shall move, they shall depart, both man and beast. And in those days and in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together. With continual weeping, they shall come and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it, saying, Come, let us join together to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. My people have been a lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains and have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. All who found them have devoured them. And their adversaries said, we have not offended because they have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice. The Lord, the hope of their fathers. And so, Father... Tonight, we too cry out to you. We, we too know that we have sinned as well. That we have that same heart of stone, that same stiff neck, that same pride in our own hearts. 
that we can so often easily blame the nation of Israel for, or even our own friends that we know, people that we know in our lives. Lord, help us to see, just as Jeremiah has been reminding the people of Israel over and over and over again in this amazing book, that we also need to look at ourselves. And it's easy to blame other nations or other people for their sins, for their pride, for what they have done against you. When we ourselves have just as much, if not even more sin. The only difference is we serve a God who forgives and we thank you for that. We thank you that you have laid down your life for us just as we sang tonight. So that we could experience peace with the God of the universe. Help us to never keep that in, Lord. Help us to desire to spread that. As Jeremiah is sharing with the nation of Babylon, even in these chapters, Lord. We lift up to you our, our pastors, Lord. I, I thank you so much for Pastor Mike Ostheimer and Pastor Jason and Pastor Mike Butler and Pastor Mike Cosper and Pastor Mike Atkinson, Lord. I ask that you put a hedge of protection around them that you would just... Um, strengthen them with the many decisions that they have to make. Lord, we lift up to you our, our elders, Larry and Ron, and ask that you would just continue to give them a clear vision for our church. Lord, I thank you for these, the congregation, who so faithfully attend. Lord, I, I thank you so much for them. Yes, you multiply their time, their sacrificing even tonight. Lord, that you would strengthen them and encourage them through your word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. I, I know this is, again, we're in a very obscure section of the Bible. And, and this is one of those, I mean, especially the first seven verses here are just truly amazing. If you've never read this before, it's really the heart of God toward the nation that he chose to discipline Israel. And he's still reaching out to the Babylonian nation. You see, this was the nation that took away Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. This was the nation who took away all those precious things that were in the temple that we're going to read about later on, by the way. That they're going to use in their parties, in their own palaces and walls. This is the nation that God is using to take away Ezekiel and those that are by the river Kibar. This, this was the nation that was used to tear down those walls of Jerusalem. God is crying out to them, repent, repent. Just as he is to the nation of Israel too. It says, declare among the nations, proclaim and set up a standard. Proclaim, do not conceal it. Don't hide the truth, Jeremiah. Set that standard high. Be public about it. It's just like reading today's newspaper. It is so relevant. When we as Christians want to be hiding or secret or embarrassed many times. And just like God is calling Jeremiah to do. Set that standard strong. Don't conceal it. And by the way, this is the strongest nation on the planet at this time. This is the nation that was used uh, by God 
to destroy and take captive Israel and Judah. Now, look at the way it's described in this verse. Babylon is taken, Bel is shamed, Merodach is broken in pieces, her idols are humiliated, her images are broken in pieces. In fact, every single time we see the prophetic word of God describing Babylon, whether it's in the book of Revelation, which we're going to read in just a little bit, or here in the book of Jeremiah, or even in the book of Isaiah itself, it's always shown as fallen. It's always declared as fallen. Even though at this time, when this is being written, it is the world power. It is the singular world power. There is no other greater nation than Babylon. And yet God sees that it has already been fallen. The prophetic word of God always sees the future correctly. And Jeremiah, he's having to tell them exactly what has happened to the temple itself. How does it describe the gods of Babylon? This word bell here literally means Lord. It's very similar to the uh, more familiar word that we know from the Old Testament, the word Baal or B-A-A-L, which also means Lord or Master, lowercase, of course. In fact, this word bell is going to be found at the beginning of many of the names that we're going to read about when we get to Daniel eventually, hopefully soon. But, but you understand that even Daniel's name was renamed Belshazzar, B-E-L at the beginning of his name. Or, or the king that's going to be using these sacred instruments in his parties, his name was Belshazzar. These words, these names that took this idol as the beginning of their name, Bell. How does God already see Bell? How, how does God already see Merodach, the other god in Babylon? How does he already see them? It's destroyed, broken in pieces. Do you see the future as clearly as God does? How God already sees the future as if it has already happened. And he's revealed it to us clearly. Isn't that amazing? We just have to read it and look at it. Of course, in our perspective, we're looking back some 2,600, 2,700 years in the past. We already know what has happened to Babylon but Babylon is going to be in the future also, in the book of Revelation. It describes how it's going to happen here in verse 3. For out of the north a nation comes up against her, which shall make her land desolate, and no one shall dwell within. And they shall move, they shall depart, both man and beast. In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come. They and the children of Judah together with continual weeping, they shall come and seek the Lord their God. There's going to be something happens that unites the entire nation of Israel. You see, right after King Solomon dies, the nation of Israel splits. And since the time of Solomon's death, there had been two separate nations. 
the, the nation of Israel in the north, which was captured by the Assyrians in 722 BC, and then the southern kingdom of Judah, which we're reading about now, that was captured by Babylon, taken away in multiple exiles into Babylon, eventually uh, being completely destroyed in 587 BC. You see, uh, this nation that God is using is going to bring about a good that will unite the entire nation of Israel. When they come back, they're going to come back as a single nation. No longer as two nations. They're, they're going to come back all the tribes united. It, it will be an amazing thing that God does to bring together the people of Israel. And how will they come no longer with pride, but with lamentation or weeping, as it says there in verse 4. And what does the last phrase say? And seek the Lord their God. You see, what's going to happen when they're in Babylon, and we'll, we'll see this when we get to the book of Ezekiel, but they're going to long to worship God again. Why? Because they won't have a temple to go to. The temple's been destroyed. There won't be an altar left. There will be no place to sacrifice. There'll be no place for them to gather together and worship God. Oh, you're going to have Daniel who prays to God uh, through his window as he's looking over to the east to Jerusalem. But that's going to be few and far between. You're going to have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're the only ones standing as they themselves are going to be convicted and put into a fiery furnace. You're going to have Ezekiel being the prophet beside the river Kibar. But for the most part, the people of Israel, they are not going to be worshiping God. They're going to be longing to come back and worship God in the temple. In fact, when they come back, and we read about this in Nehemiah and Ezra, the first thing they're going to build is a temple to God, to worship uh, him as a united nation. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it, saying, come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten what will be the forefront thing on their mind god himself coming back to their land wanting to worship the god who chose them as a people in fact it describes it here in verses six and seven my people have been lost sheep their shepherds have led them astray they have turned them away on the mountains they have gone from mountain to hill they have forgotten their resting place all who found them have devoured them and their adversary said we have not offended because we have sinned against the lord the habitation of justice the lord the hope of their fathers and we'll see that as we walk through the attitude of the babylonians toward the israelites they're just another conquest they're just another nation that they've integrated into their own society. And so God is going to bring about their destruction. 
In verse 8 there it says, move from the midst of Babylon, go out from the land of the Chaldeans, be like the rams before the flock, for behold I will rise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country, and they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be captured. Their arrows shall be like those of an expert warrior. None shall return in vain, and Chaldea shall become plunder. All who plunder her shall be satisfied, says the Lord. This great nation, the terror of every single other people group on the planet is now going to be destroyed. How is this happening? How can this ever happen? That God would bring about the downfall of this mighty nation and predict it with such great accuracy. By the way, Jeremiah is not even going to be able to see this. He's going to be dead at this time. Verse 11, because you were glad, because you rejoiced, you're destroyers of my inheritance, because you have grown fat like a heifer, threshing grain, and you bellow like bulls. Your mother shall be deeply ashamed. She who bore you shall be ashamed, because the least of the nation shall be a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. Do you, do you hear and see the imagery? What, what is that sound of that bellowing bull? Or, or uh, the heifer, the, the cow that has grown fat? Do, do you see it? The, the luxury within the land of Babylon where, where their bark is bigger than their bite because they have rested on their laurels and become complacent. This is how it's describing it. Because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited, but she shall be wholly desolate. Everyone who goes by Babylon shall be horrified and hiss at her plagues. In fact, the uh, book of Revelation mirrors this almost exactly. And again, in, ba in the book of Revelation, every single time you see Babylon, it has already fallen. We, we like to read into the book of Revelation and say, oh, which nation is going to be Babylon or, or maybe which group is going to be Babylon or something like that. How is it going to control the world? But every time we see the nation of Babylon in the book of Revelation, it has already fallen. In fact, in chapter 14 of Revelation, verse 8, it says this, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Or, or skipping ahead to chapter 18. And by the way, these are the only three times that we see the, uh, the nation of Babylon in uh, the book of Revelation. Especially in chapter 18 here. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Or Revelation chapter 18, 10 standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. How does God already see the future for what we fear or what we worry about or 
what we try to predict. When God has already predicted what would happen. Babylon has already fallen. Do I have to worry about something that's already fallen? No. This is what he's telling the people of Israel during this time. And, and whenever we read the book of Revelation, we can rest truly in the um, faith of the Lord, the courage of God to know that he has already taken care of the future. We don't have to worry about it. Who is in control? God is. Going back to Jeremiah chapter 40, verse 14, it continues on. Put yourselves in array against Babylon all around. All you who bend the bow, shoot at her, spare no arrows. For she has sinned against the Lord, shout against her all around. She has given her hand, her foundations have fallen. Her walls are thrown down. For it is the vengeance of the Lord, take vengeance on her. As she has done, so do to her. Cut off the sower from Babylon and him who handles the sickle at harvest time for fear of the oppressing sword. Everyone shall turn to his own people and everyone shall flee to his own land. Israel is like scattered sheep. The lions have driven him away. First, the king of Assyria devoured him. Now at last, this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has broken his bones. And of course, this happened in, in sequence. Israel, uh, 720 BC, Assyria, and now Nebuchadnezzar, 587 uh, BC. You see, every single time we see these great nations, God has already declared their future. God has already shown the people of Israel what's going to happen to those that hurt them or disciplined them or persecuted them. By the way, the amazing thing that's going to happen here is God's going to handpick people in perfect places. Men like Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Misael who are going to be literally in the upper echelons, who are going to get to witness to Nebuchadnezzar. And if you've ever read Daniel chapter 4 before, you see the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. And it is awesome. It is amazing what's going to happen. God's going to perfectly put people in key positions to bring about repentance within even the upper echelon. To bring a, a witness to those that would never have a witness ever. God's going to bring them in. Verse 18, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Therefore I, I punish the king of Babylon and his land as I have punished the king of Assyria. But I will bring back Israel to his home and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan his soul shall be satisfied on Mount Ephraim and Gilead in those days. And in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found. For I will pardon those whom I preserve. I love that word. Just like in the Old Testament, we see the same doctrines in the New Testament. Does God preserve the Christian? Does God baptize the Christian? Does God uh, cause about a preservation of your salvation with his mighty hand that no one can take out of? 
God's reminding the people of Israel, and you may be in a, a maybe a, a hard time in your own life, and I, I, I'm grateful that we have a, a praying church that prays for those that are in need, and, and whether it's a, a hard time that you know someone going through or a hard time yourself, does God see you? And is God there? And does God still preserve and find, even to today? Yes, he does. Verse 21, go up against the land of Marathaim, against it and against the inhabitants of Pecod. Waste and utterly destroy them, says the Lord. And do according to all that I have commanded you. A, a sound of battle is in the land and of great destruction. How the hammer of the whole earth has been cut apart and broken. How Babylon has become a desolation among the nations. I have laid a snare for you. You have indeed been trapped, O Babylon, and you are not aware. You have been found and also caught because you have contended against the Lord. The Lord has opened his armory and has brought out the weapons of his indignation. For this is the work of the Lord God of hosts in the land of the Chaldeans. Don't you love the pictures that you see? Just by reading it. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. What is God doing? Opening up the armories of heaven against this mighty nation that has afflicted his people. I, I love, you know, the pictures in the Old Testament, especially whether it's, you know, Elisha with his servant who said, what should we do with this great army that has surrounded our house? And God, or Elisha asked God, open his eyes. And what did that servant see surrounding Elisha's house? Yeah, the armies of the hosts of heaven itself. God is not uh, lazy. God does not rest in protecting his people. Thank God for that. Come against her from the farthest border. Open her storehouses. Cast her up as heaps of ruin and destroy her utterly. Let nothing of her be left. Slay all her bulls. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe to them for their day has come. The time of their punishment. The voice of those who flee and escape from the land of Babylon. Declares in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God. The vengeance of his what? Who had destroyed the temple of God? And who had taken away the people of God? Who had a relationship with God? You see, God sees. And as, you know, we hear many, many times, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. And is God going to do that? Perfectly. 29, call, call together the archers against Babylon, all who have been the bow and camp against it all around. Let none of them escape. Repay her according to her work, according to all that she has done. Do to her, for she has been proud against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, her young man shall fall in the streets, and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, says the Lord. Uh, singular, by the way, we're going to see that later on. It doesn't say in that days or in those days, it's in that day. It's going to happen on a single day within a 24-hour period. 
Behold, I am against you, O most haughty one, says the Lord God of hosts. For your day has come, the time that I will punish. By, by the way, you see this title uh, for God in, in every single one of these paragraphs. You're going to see it as we go through this Lord God of hosts. It literally means the one who is in charge of all the hosts of heaven or all the armies of heaven. For which one would come down during the time of King Hezekiah and destroy an entire army. And now imagine millions and millions of those angels coming to protect his people. Because of what they've done against his temple. Because of what they've done to his people. The most proud shall stumble and fall and no one shall rise or raise him up. And I will kindle a fire in his cities and it will devour all around him. Thus says the Lord of hosts. The children of Israel were oppressed along with the children of Judah. All who took them captive were held, have held them fast. They have refused to let them go. Their redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will thoroughly plead their case that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. There is authority. There is power behind the name. A sword is against the Chaldeans, says the Lord, against the inhabitants of Babylon and against her princes and her wise men. A sword is against the soothsayers and they will be fools. A sword is against her mighty men and they will be dismayed. A sword is against their horses, against their chariots, against all the mixed peoples who are in her midst. They will become like women, a sword against her treasures and they will be robbed. A drought is against her waters and they will be dried up for it is the land of carved images and they are insane with their idols underline that phrase highlight that phrase because we see it all around us today by, by the way many of these descriptions that we see for Babylon we too take pride in we, we too describe our nation in this way. We have a great army. We, we have people in political places that are wise. We have spirituality. Spirituality. We, we have an army that, you know, made up of tanks and planes and all the military hardware. Just as it describes here, the horses and the chariots, which were the, uh, the uh, technology of the day, if you will. And what does it say in the last phrase of verse 37? It's a sword against her treasuries, their money, their wealth. All, all those things that they treasured. What will happen to all those things? Every single time, a sword, a sword, a sword, a sword, a sword. God's going to dry up their waters, their agriculture. And you've probably heard this before, but one of the seven wonders of the world was the gardens in Babylon. The, the, the beautiful cultivated gardens that they had. And what will happen? It says in there in verse 49, or 39, Therefore, the wild desert beast shall dwell there with the jackals. What's going to happen to the once beautiful city? Uh, th this place that it was filled with greenery and beauty. 
What's going to happen to it? Desert. The ostriches shall dwell in it, and it shall be inhabited no more forever, nor shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. How so? How devastated? Verse 40, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord. So no one shall reside there, nor son of man dwell in it. Behold, a people shall come up from the north and a great nation, and many kings shall be raised up from the ends of the earth. They shall hold, hold the bow and the lance. They are cruel and shall not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea. They shall ride on horses set in array like a man for the battle against you, O daughter of Babylon." King of Babylon has heard the report about them and his hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of him. Pangs of a woman in childbirth. Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the floodgate of the Jordan against the dwelling place of the strong. And I will make them suddenly run away from her. And who is a chosen man that I may appoint over her? Who is like me? Who will arraign me? And who is that shepherd? Who will withstand me each time the capital M for me? Who's the one that's going to be protecting his people? God himself. Therefore hear the counsel of the Lord that he has taken against Babylon. And his purposes that he's proposed against the land of the Chaldeans. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out. Surely he will make their dwelling place desolate with them. At the noise of the taking of Babylon, the earth trembles and the cry is heard among the nations. Now, this is going to be interesting how this takes place. We'll, we'll learn more in detail once we uh, get to the book of Daniel. But literally a coalition of nations are going to rise up against Babylon. It's going to be what are called the Persians and the Medes. The, this group of nations that were once uh, subjugated by Babylon are going to uh, coalesce, uh, ally themselves, and in one night literally overtake the Babylonian Empire. In fact, the description in chapter 51, the first eight verses here, is so accurate. This is going to happen approximately 50, 60 years in the future. After Jeremiah's writing this, it says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise against Babylon, against those who dwell in Lebkamai, a destroying wind, and I will send winnowers to Babylon who shall winnow her and empty her land, for in the day of doom they shall be against her all around. Against her let the archer bend his bow and lift himself up against her in his armor. Do not spare her young men. Utterly destroy all her army. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans and those thrust through in her streets. For Israel is not forsaken nor Judah. For his God, the Lord of hosts, the one who is in charge of the armies of heaven, through their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. The description in the next three verses here are so poetic. Flee from the midst of Babylon and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand. 
They made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore, the nations are deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. The, the same words that were used earlier describing Babylon as insane and now deranged. Listen to the description in the book of Daniel. I know, I mean, this is a, uh, a foreshadowing of what we're going to get to. And I hopefully, uh, you know, wet your tongue or, or wet your interest in the book of Daniel. But in Daniel chapter 5, we read a story about a guy by the name of Belshazzar, who, who was, you know, uh, the, most people think the grandson of, of Nebuchadnezzar. Look, look what he does, and you've heard this story before, hopefully with new eyes tonight. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem. That the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. What are they using in this huge, massive, thousand-person party? All the sacred utensils that were taken from King Solomon's temple. The gold and the silver cups that were used in the worship of God. And the, the instruments that were used, the various uh, uh, utensils that were used in the worship of God are now being used by Belshazzar to worship Bel and Mardok and the various idols within Babylon. And they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem. The king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron and wood and stone. Exactly what we've been reading about in the previous two chapters in Je Jeremiah. You remember the story, verse 5, in the same hour the fingers of the man appeared and rode opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part, the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. Don't you love the description? This is Daniel is going to come in as a first-hand witness to all this thing. But, but he's no longer a, a, an advisor, if you will. He, he was the advisor for Nebuchadnezzar, but not for Belshazzar. In fact, no one knows about uh, Daniel at this time. In verse 7, it says, The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Exactly the same words that we read in Jeremiah, by the way. The ones that God would make insane and deranged and lose their wisdom. That they come in, they try to read the writing on the wall and are they able to? Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck. 
and, you shall be a, and shall be a third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. This is literally the king of the world at this time, and he's scared. He's scared. Verse ten: The queen, and this is the queen mother, the the one who would have been, or one of the one of the people that would have been married to Nebuchadnezzar. She comes in because of the words of the king and his lords came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, "O king, live forever! Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers." Inasmuch as in an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Again, that three-letter uh, word at the beginning. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. The queen knew and remembered Daniel and what he had done for King Nebuchadnezzar. We'll skip ahead just a little bit. I, I know you can read the, the rest of this story, but I want to skip ahead to verse 22. This is Daniel speaking to the king that has the most power at this time. And how does he describe him? Verse 22, but you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. Those vessels that were supposed to be used in worship of God, you have made them blaspheme. You have made them commonplace. You have taken them for your own desires. You have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. By the way, if you read chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face in worshiping God. And of course, Daniel, he just runs off these words with amazing accuracy. And the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written, and this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Uparsen. This is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command. By the way, he had to do this. He had declared, I'm going to give this person who interprets this uh, writing on the wall one third of my kingdom. Plus a purple robe and a crown and all those things. Or a chain of gold around his neck. And they clothed Daniel. And of course, you can see this reluctantly, of course. He, he's literally predicting the downfall of Babylon. 
Of course, this mene mene, it's repeated twice, just like what we see with the word holy, repeated three times in the Bible. It, it means that it's going to be happening quickly. It's going to be happening very, very soon. They put this purple and this chain of gold around his neck, and they made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom in that very night. Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Literally a coup happens overnight. The Medes and the Persians walk into the Babylonian empire and take control. And then, of course, you read about it later on in the, the book of, of Daniel uh, where Darius, the, the king of the Medes and the Persians, have to make this, you know, uh, decree, right? That no one can worship anyone except for uh, Darius and, and you can read those stories for yourself. But, but you understand the accuracy of the word of God. How has God already seen Babylon? It's fallen. It's already destroyed. He warns them. He brings about this destruction on Babylon. And when the time of this writing, at the time that Jeremiah is writing, Babylon is this great and powerful nation. And just like us today, maybe reading a, a portion of the scripture and, and, and maybe trying to apply it to our own life. How can you do this, God? I, I, I see it as impossible. It's beyond my understanding. Do you think it was that way for Jeremiah too? We, we look back and we see it in 2020 vision. But for Jeremiah, he's literally having to live this. Being in exile, by the way, now he's in Egypt with those that have run and tail and, and are scared. We pick up the story again in Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 9. Uh, we would have healed Babylon for she is not healed. Or but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go everyone to his own country. For her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. The Lord has revealed our righteousness. Come and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. Make the arrows bright. Gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirit of the king of the... There it is right there. By the way, this nation isn't even around when Jeremiah is writing this. This nation isn't even a, you know, a known nation at this time. It's just one of the fodder that Babylon has taken over. And God's going to bring this coalition of nations, the Medes and the Persians, perfectly predicted by Jeremiah some 50, 60 years before it actually happens. Well, in the, in the, here in this verse, for his plan is against Babylon to destroy it because he, it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. By the way, do you know what you are? You are the temple. Do you see the application? We, we read these Old Testament chapters or these Old Testament verses and, and, and maybe we read it just to check off our, you know, read the Bible in a year thing or whatever it is. And when we actually read it verse by verse, what does it do? It just comes to life. 
You are the temple of God and God's going to protect you. God's going to bring his army against anyone that oppresses you too. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. And so Father, tonight as we approach your throne room, we thank you for making us your temple. We, we can't make our own hearts your temple on our own. We, we, there's no way we can make ourselves holy. There's no way that we can make ourselves in any way pure or righteous. It's only because of what your son has done for us on the cross. And the privilege of knowing that we have a relationship with you that we can take anywhere. That we are the temple of God. That you dwell in us. That your Holy Spirit infills us. With those moans and groans too deep for words. When, when we have trouble even enunciating or, or trying to describe what is going on in our own heart. Where the Holy Spirit takes those things and brings it to the very throne room of the God of the universe. Where we have uh, our, our brother, our friend, our savior, Jesus Christ, interceding for us at all times. Lord, we thank you. And so, Lord, as we come before you tonight, we, we not only uh, hopefully appreciate your word more or better, but that we would desire to have an interest in your word that we would truly seek out maybe maybe the verses that weren't read tonight or or maybe the the verses that are going to come later on that we would take the time to read those things we would desire to research your word and understand uh, the words that you have pinned for us to read today lord i, I thank you for these my friends and my family I ask you bless them lord Bless them mightily, Lord. Help them to know that, that they're loved and, and that they're appreciated for all the things that they do. I know there's many, many weary people in this room that, that serve you daily. Lord, strengthen them, encourage them. Help them to know that you see every single thing that you do or that we do in your name. That we do for you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.